0: Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. Last time I was here, we read through there and made some opening comments. And I have come to the conclusion that most of what has been written about this chapter has not been well thought out. There has been a lot of speculation imposed upon this chapter and I am, I'm just, hopefully, we're going to go through here and see how it blends with the rest of the Scripture. Now, at first, uh, it looks like, and probably could have easily been, just a continuation of the last chapter. And there are many times that we find when we find a chapter break, if we, we mentally stop, we mentally think there's something else going to happen, something different, and that's not necessary. Uh, necessarily going to happen sometimes the chapter break is in the wrong place so if we get to thinking that the chapter break is just there so that we can find it and not just a dividing line between scriptures we'd probably be much better off and i have looked at this chapter and i want to go down to verse seven before we start on the first three or four verses tonight Because I think verse 7 could easily be the defining verse for this chapter, and probably the defining verse for this book, and maybe even for the Bible. Uh, And it tells us here in verse 7. Now the last phrase is what I was impressed with, and I might read it first, that at evening time it shall be light. Now that is so illogical. But the Lord is not... Thinking like we're thinking. As far as heaven is above the earth. is his thoughts above our thoughts. Now read with me verse 7. But it shall come, shall be one day, which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass, that evening time shall be light. Now that certainly speaks to the church through the ages. It speaks to even our brother Abel. Darkness, or evening, meant the light to him. He woke up in glory. And we find as the church is persecuted in Old Testament as well as New Testament, that there's always the light of the glory of the gospel. There's always the light of Christ. There's always, even in the worst of times, the church has been able to see the glory of the Savior, the glory of the Lord. And believers have been able to realize That what is happening is not by chance, it is because of God's purpose. Those saints at Jerusalem that were caused to flee because of persecution, they took what they knew, the gospel, and took it to the many parts of the world that had never heard the gospel before. So God used that in a glorious way, though it was through persecution. But at that at evening time, it shall be light, and I... I just want to kind of hang on to that verse of scripture as we go through this last chapter and kind of apply it to the other places in this chap- in this book that we've read where there's trouble coming, problems. Uh, the Lord is always in charge and he's always going to overrule and he's always going to be victorious. And so even at the darkest time, there is that light of the gospel. There is that light of God, that light of Christ. All right, let's go up here to this uh, first part first few verses of this chapter and we find here in verse 1 behold the day of the lord cometh and they spoil shall be divided and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee for i will gather all nations against jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rift uh, rifled and the women ravished And half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. All right, as we look down through here, I I just want to keep in mind a few other verses as we think of that that phrase that's used in verse 1 Behold the day of the Lord. One of those passages of scripture that was brought to my attention a couple of years ago by. Uh, Brother Lance Heller, over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Would you join me over there in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1? He was here and he spoke, I think, three uh, messages, sort of, from this passage of Scripture, and they just were such a delight to hear because he glorified the Lord and we saw our Savior as that great prophet, that glorious prophet of God, that prophet that Moses spoke of over there. And here it says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past, time past, unto the fathers by the prophets. Now when we go through the book of Zechariah, we find that God is speaking to us through that prophet. Now it has no less meaning, has no less significance than if God was there saying those words by him very self. He was using his called prophet to declare his words. So, whether it be Moses or to Malachi, those prophets were used of God, and he used them to speak unto his people throughout the Old Testament era. These prophets were given by God. God chose them, God ordained them, God selected them, God gave them the words to say, God gave them courage. God gave them light in a dark day. And here it says, now something spectacular. Not that God is going to cease speaking to those prophets because the Lord Jesus himself used those prophets in all of his messages. And all of the disciples used those prophets in all of their messages. And they preached Christ and him crucified. And here we find in verse 2, this is God is going to speak to us now, hath in these last days spoken unto us. Now, did you see that? In these last days? Now, that was written a long time ago, and it was written concerning our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and it was concerning His His, uh, God come in the flesh era. It was written concerning His Being born of a virgin, it was written of Him coming as promised. It was written of Him, the fulfillment of all Old Testament scriptures. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, the God incarnate. That is just such a necessary thing. God's people truly believe. I cannot explain it. But God gives us the grace to believe that God came in the flesh. And the scriptures in fact give him a name it's not used very often twice in the Old Testament, once in the New Testament and that's the name Emmanuel. And in the New Testament we don't have to wait for Thayer or Strong's to define it. The Holy Spirit did that for us. Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now God was with them, God is with us. Here it says, hath in these last days. Now we read over there in the book of Zechariah that there's going to be some day of the Lord. There's a day of the Lord. Well, when we look at it from a scriptural standpoint, every day is the day of the Lord. He is the one that gives every day. This is the day the Lord hath made. It's what we read in the Psalms. Alright, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he, God, capital H, he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. The, the, the overall covering of what we read here as the writer here of the book of Hebrews, as the Holy Spirit gave him the words to write, shares with us so much of the fulfillment of the Old Testament right here in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. But look at verse 3. Who be in the brightness of his glory. We can't even paint that, can we? <laughs> we can't significantly grab a hold of that in our mind. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by excuse me, who in, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the power, word of His power, when He had by Himself... I just... What a glorious statement. Amen. When He had by Himself purged, put away, paid for completely our sins... And to show that that was acceptable unto the Father, acceptable unto the Godhead, that sins of his people that he died for were paid for completely, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now notice that in verse 1. Who at sundry times and in diverse manners. God who at sundry times and diverse manners in times past. Now he hath spoken these last days, spoken unto us. And here's the message. We have this to declare. Same message that Zechariah was declaring over there in the Old Testament. All right, let's look at another verse of Scripture found in the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, as we think about that day of the Lord in the book of Zechariah, here in the book of Hosea, this is another uh, passage of Scripture. It's a prophet that God spoke through until his son would come. God spoke through Hosea, the message that Hosea had is so so gospel-est. Hosea would marry a harlot? And then we read how the Lord God Almighty in Christ Jesus chose before the foundation of the world a people that had no interest in Him whatsoever, and yet He was pleased to marry them, take them as His bride, He would do what was necessary so that they would be holy and without blame before Him in love. He would do all that. Alright, here in the book of Hosea, Hosea, let me get there, Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1, then said the Lord unto me, here in in days past, God spake to us by the prophets and here's a explanation about that the lord then said the lord unto me here's god's word it is no different than if he had been there speaking it verbatim in front of them you know when it comes to man's reaction to the word we can go through the book of leviticus and almost the entire book of leviticus is the very word of god and it didn't If it wasn't given by grace, if it wasn't given because of his uh, intention to save somebody from their sins, they had no more reverence for it than it could have been Balaam talking, or Buddha. It, 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 It was just like water on a duck's back. It meant nothing to them. And yet, when God's word is given to his people, it is life. It is food. It is water. It is to look at him and say, there is great glory in the gospel. It is the best news a person could ever hear is to hear the gospel. Then said the Lord unto me, go yet love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to love of the Lord towards the children of Israel, who shall Uh, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and a half a homer of barley and said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king and without a prince and without a sacrifice and without an image and without an ephod and without a teraphim. Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. I just get to start down through there and it's not a very... Uh, Encouraging story <laughs> until we read about Hosea is commanded of the Lord to take this woman by her, and that's what Christ did for us. He bought us by price, He bought us by the blood of Himself, He bought us by paying for our sins. And then it says this: As a result of that, afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God. There, here's the elect being brought out of every kindred, nation, and people and tongue. Here's the ones that are like Joshua and Caleb. Here's the ones that are like those who came back with a report that God is able to do what He said He would do. These are the people that heard the word of the prophet in the Old Testament. These are the ones that God had favor upon. And it says here in that, and his goodness in the latter days, last phrase of that sentence. Afterward, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord, their God and David, their king. Before this, what do they have? Nothing. Verse four, the children shall abide many days without a king. Without a prince, and without a sacrifice, and without an image, and without an ephod, and without a teraphim. Terrible plight that they're in. But God did not leave his people without hope. He gave them himself. And here it is. They shall seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So as we look at this passage of Scripture in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, we find something about a day, the day of the Lord, the latter days. This is God has always been active. He will always be active. There's never been a time on this earth when he has not been actively finding his sheep and saving his sheep, having the gospel preached unto them. You know, we could go through many places in the Scriptures. One of them is brought out in the book of Acts when the people came and saw The apostles of the Lord Jesus preaching the gospel. And they said, they're drunk. They're just drunk. And he said, Peter said, I'm sorry. This is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Now, most of them didn't know a thing about what he's talking about. They knew the, the passage of scripture, but they didn't know a thing about what he was talking about. We find it was a fulfillment of the prophet Joel. This has been prophesied by Job many, many years before, and now it's falling out in front of them. And you know what? God gave Peter the understanding of what that verse of Scripture, that passage of Scripture meant, and he was able to say, this is what that means. Now, let's leave it right there. It was fulfilled in that day. And if you would look with me, um, well, in Job. Just go back to Job for a minute. Job had an understanding. God gave him an understanding about spiritual things. And we have a a mention of a day here. Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job makes mention of something here that uh, I wish my family could say. I wish my friends could say. I wish my twin brother could say. I know my Redeemer liveth. And that shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. What a statement. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. He understood some things here. Did you notice that? That in the latter day upon the earth, the Lord is going to stand in the latter day upon the earth. So we're going to be looking at some time that the Lord has always been active in His day. It is the Lord's day. Every day is the Lord's day. We don't don't have days and weeks and months. We don't have uh, all the uh, sacrifices and things like that. We have The Lord is our day. He is the daysman too. Well, as we look here at Zechariah chapter 4 again, or 14, Zechariah chapter 14, there's so much said here that is metaphorical and spiritual, but I'm not going to go off into apocalyptical, because it's not. It is not apocalyptical. It is It is Christocentric. It is declaring Christ in this passage of Scripture and His power and His salvation of His people and the keeping of His people. All right, we look here in in, uh, Zechariah chapter 14, for I will gather all nations against Israel to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So we have those separated, taken out. We have those that are taken out to captivity. We have those that are going to be delivered. We have have a remnant according to the election of grace. We have those who are going to leave, and we have those who are going to stay. And I will say this right up front. You never find the church leaving Christ. The church does not leave Christ because Christ holds them. That's the only reason that we don't. He holds the church. He is attached to the church. (coughs) The, The saints are the vines, and he is the root. He's the branch. So as we look through here, we want to keep that in mind. Now, the Lord has said that there's going to be times when the church is going to pass through the waters and pass through the fire. Turn with me over to the book of Isaiah. It doesn't take us very long in church history to find out there have been some terrible times. Go through a few passages of scripture in Jeremiah's life or Isaiah's life. Some of the old prophets' lives. Uh, I was visiting with a man in Canada through uh, Facebook or FaceTime. There it is, FaceTime, last night. And uh, it it came up about, um, I found a passage of scripture that was made it scriptural for me to say I hated Henry Mahan. And he said, what's that? And he says, well, over there in the book of 1 Kings and also 1 Chronicles, there's a prophet by the name of Melchiah. And Ahab said, He's all, he, all these other prophets are probably lying and he'll tell us the truth, but I hate him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what Brother Henry did. He told me the truth and I hated him. Well, here in the book of uh, Isaiah chapter 43, we find that the Lord has shared with us just as we find here now it's metaphorical, it's spiritual. Uh, Jerusalem has gone through some terrible times. There's no doubt about it. There's, It's gone through some terrible times in AD 70. That Jewish uh, historian Josephus writes about it. Other historians write about it. Terrible, terrible, terrible times. No doubt about it. But I don't believe that that's what this is about particularly. I believe it's God sharing with us, this is what I'm going to do to my people so that I will have... The wheat and not the chaff. So let's look here in the book of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 shares with us when you win. Notice here, Isaiah 43 verse 1. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee, by thy name thou art mine. When thou, when thou passest through the waters. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to go swimming particularly. It means that they're going to have some difficulty. They're going to have persecution. They're going to have, let's go on. I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. What does the Lord share with us in this passage of Scripture? I have a number that I died for on the cross and all of them shall be saved. I will lose none of them. When thou walkest through the fire. Now, there are as incidents in the New Testament as well as the Old Testament when it could certainly be applied that God brought these people through the fire. They were having terrible times. Read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. The first few verses just say... You go hallelujah, hallelujah, and hallelujah. And you get down to the end there and it says, and some were sawn asunder. Some had to go hide out in the wilderness. It was a terrible time for some. Some were delivered. Some were not delivered. And yet it was brought out as we read right here, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. I think verse 2 and this passage of scripture fit hand in glove that God is speaking to us that I, I have the potential my purpose may be to bring this persecution upon the church. As it goes through here, I will be with thee through the, the rivers. They shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through their fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shalt the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom and Ethiopia sea before thee. Since thou wast precious in my sight, Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee and people for thy life. So we have the Lord declaring very, the very first verse of the 43rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, sharing with us the love that he has for the church. And then he says, when, when, and when I bring this upon you, when thou walkest through the fire, when you walk through the river, when you walk through the water, I'll be with you. It will not overpower you. The remnant shall always be saved. And we find that as we look here in the book of Zechariah chapter 13. We went over this when we came to that place, but it's worthwhile going over here to Zechariah 13 and verse 8 and reading this again. And it says, uh, Zechariah 13 verse 8, And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. I will have a remnant, a remnant according to the election of grace. God has often sent a purging of the church, and he has done this often by using others. Often from the inside, every man created religion is a warfare against grace. Every man created religion is in warfare Against grace. And we find that that has been a constant battle. We have Mount Zion. There has constantly been attacks against Mount Zion. We have the church. There's been constantly attacks against the church. And the church is so often spoken of as a sister church, as a female. And that's what we find there, that the women were ravished. And the buildings were destroyed. How often God has used people to come up against for the sifting out of the body. Now, God often has used the book of Galatians to correct much error. God that gave that book of Galatians to correct error. Read with me over here in the book of Galatians as we think about this whole, God said he brought it against them. God brought it against Jerusalem. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3. And there in verse 1. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. O foolish Galatians. Now that's the Apostle Paul speaking to a group that I believe he believed at one time knew something. O foolish Galatians, who hath Bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you? Because that's what's happened here. You have been bewitched. You have you had uh, people bring slander against the gospel. You've had people bring slander against the name of God. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Who hath bewitched you? O oh, foolish Galatians! And we find that this is constantly brought up here in the New Testament. and It is brought up also in the Old Testament that God is going to bring fire, water, against the church for the purging of the church to demonstrate that there's chaff among the church. And... Uh, we're going to look here. Turn with me, if you would, to the, to the book of, of Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, and verse 24, we have a wonderful verse of Scripture. Ever thought, how, how can I hang on? How can I hang on? How can I hang on? Well, here in the book of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24, we have this wonderful verse of Scripture given to us, by the Lord to tell us that it will not be possible for the elect to be deceived. Thank God. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, now I like that, <laughs> If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. But it's not possible. Amen. God's not going to lose any; He's going to keep His own. But these things will come, just like we read in Zechariah chapter fourteen and verse two: "This great coming against Jerusalem." Now, in First Corinthians chapter eleven. Or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Would you turn there with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 19. Uh oh. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just a moment. Of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most. Just a moment. It mentions in this verse of Scripture, for there must be also heresies. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Okay. 1 Corinthians. Thank you. 11.19 11.19 I had the right address partially. First Corinthians 11.19 <laughs> For there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. 1 Corinthians chapter eleven verse nineteen for there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. The apostle Paul, when he wrote to this this first letter to the church at Corinth, said the things that are going on there they're not good and they're not beneficial, but they have been brought by the purpose. Why? For the sifting. All right, let's follow this theme for just a little bit as we find that God did that very thing to Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, we find this. As we remember what was said over there in the book of Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2, we find, if we turn here to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, <coughs> Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. These are the works of the flesh. So those who bring these are only working after the flesh. We go down to verse 22, we find the fruit of the Spirit, and there's never been a law against any of those things. Alright, the next one that we want to is Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. And verse one. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. I want to... uh, Zechariah chapter 14. I just want to... For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 2. Here in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But there were false prophets among you. The people, even as they were to be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through the covetousness shall they with fiend words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And then we go on and we could read the rest of that. But we find here that the Lord brought these things in the church. Galatia, Corinth. And here is Peter's writing to the saints that were scattered abroad that so often these things were brought in by the Lord for the sifting of the church. For the cause to see that the wheat is going to stay. And I'm going to take the chaff away. I will blow it away. So this follows through. There is... And we always find, as in John chapter six, 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 <laughs> and begin at that day, many of His disciples followed Him no more. <clears throat> they left. And we're going to see here in, in that Jerusalem, it says, and half the city shall go forth into captivity. They're the ones that leave. They're the ones that are blown off. And here we find that throughout the Scriptures, this very thing has always happened. I was reminded of a passage over in the book of Deuteronomy. Would you turn over there with me to the book of Deuteronomy? The Lord is saying, if this should happen, if you wake up some morning and your neighbor comes over and he has this to tell you, I want you to pay attention to this. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 13, because the church will not do this. (coughs) When the church, true believers (coughs) meet together, they get to fellowship in a person. And they're satisfied with that person. Their whole spiritual well-being is based on that person. Salvation is having complete faith in that one person and nothing else. Just that one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if thou hear say in one of the cities which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell therein, saying, Deuteronomy thirteen twelve. if you hear this, certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, let us go and serve their gods, which we have not known. If someone comes to your house and says, I want you to go with me over here, and we're going to serve other gods which we don't know here. I'll never forget that message that Brother Rupert brought that said, their rock is not, or no, our rock is not their rock. Our rock is Christ. All right, it goes on to tell us, Then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently, and behold, if it be truth and the thing certain that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt certainly smite the inhabitants. (laughs) So he says, don't go with this. If you know the truth, the truth has set you free, and you will not go back into bondage. You will not go in and follow these other gods. If certain men, the children of Belial, are gone out from among you, and withdrawn the inhabitants of their cities, saying, let us go and serve the... uh, other gods, which ye have not known. Don't go along. Well, this is mentioned throughout the scriptures. They left where the mention of these other gods was not known. They left to go to the other gods. It's not going to be here. It's going to be over there. Alright? In uh, in the book of Luke, in one of the parables of the sower in Luke, it tells us something that's very interesting that uh, When the gospel goes out and it falls on the rock. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 13. Luke chapter 8 and verse 13. We're going to have a division made here. Half the city is going to be taken away. In other places it's the tenth of the city. Or the nine tenths of the city. In other places two thirds. But there is always a remnant according to the election of grace. Well here in the book of Luke chapter 8. And there in verse 13. We read these words. Luke chapter 8 and verse 13 it says, they on the rock are they which win. Now the word went out. The same seed goes everywhere. That's the blessing of it. We don't change the seed for different groups or ages or uh, economic circumstances. The seed is the same. It is the gospel. It is the word of God. They on the rock, they are they which when they hear and receive the word with joy and these have not root which for a while believe now where does our root come from it's not in us that's the problem here nothing is contributed by us we don't contribute a thing to our salvation except our sin that's it we don't (coughs) contribute our faith we don't contribute our belief we don't contribute a thing And it's not our root that we want hope in. We want hope in His root. Alright? These have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. They don't stay. It's impossible to stay if you don't have the truth of the gospel. You can't stay around it. It is an irritation. It is not something you want every day. It's not and, and you find people saying, is this all you're going to preach? Is this all you're going to teach? Is this all you're going to talk about? Is the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Well, that's all we have. And that's the only thing that's the hope of salvation, is Jesus Christ. So we made mention of that in John 6.66. From that time, many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. They left. His disciples stayed. In fact, He asked His disciples, Peter, are you going to go away? Go away. <laughs> and he says, "To whom shall we turn the house the words of eternal life? Well, who was moving Peter's lips? <laughs> the grace of God was moving Peter's lips. We don't have anything to contribute except our sin. Everything else is given to us by the Lord. And when he made that confession, Uh, sometime later about Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, we have those wonderful words that we just lay hold of. Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So, I I have nothing to contribute. That's one of the things, the difference between the gospel and salvation in Christ Jesus. We contribute nothing. He provides everything. And works-oriented religion, we have to provide something. Sometimes it's more than others. Well, in... uh, It's interesting with Judas Iscariot. Now, we're going to uh, come to the Lord's table on Sunday, the Lord willing. And it takes us back to a time many, many years ago, just prior to the crucifixion, when the Lord instituted the Lord's table. Now, He took 12 disciples with Him. All of them. And one of them was... A no good, lost man. Judas Iscariot, a devil from the beginning he was called. Jesus said it would be better if he was never born. But he was born on purpose because God was going to use him for this purpose. Now he is there and he sees everything that Jesus Christ does. And eleven disciples, when Jesus Christ brought up the subject of one of you is going to betray me, eleven said, because they knew their heart. Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And Jesus said, The one I give the sop to. He dipped that bread in that wine and gave it to Him. You know, turn with me, if you would, to the book of John 13. John 13. In verse 30. They leave. They leave. They leave the gospel. They leave Christ. They leave the message. They leave His discipleship. They leave. And here, He then, having received the sop, went immediately out. What a statement about Judas. The other eleven, all saying, is it I? And you know what? All of the eleven betrayed Christ the same night. We read about Peter, and then it says all of them did. They all left him. They all denied him. They all. The only difference is the Lord hung on to every one of those because he was laying down his life a ransom for them. All right? Immediately went out, and it was night. Well, for Judas, it was more than night. It was darkness. We're going to have to stop here. Our time is up. But I want to read Zechariah 14, verse 2, 3, and 4 again before we go. It says in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2, there's verse 1, the day of the Lord. And this is, I will gather all nations. Verse 2, Zechariah 14, verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. You know, this is... Every sect, every worldly organization, every religious denomination, everybody that holds to works-oriented religion has always had a caterwauling fit about grace. And the Lord said, I will bring all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And it is a battle. And there will be heresies brought up. There will be, it is going to be that way. Heresies will be brought up. You know, one of the meanings of that word, heresy, heresies, comes to, into the Bible language from a Greek word, heresy. It's transliterated. And the first definition in Thayer's dictionary of Greek words, the act of taking, capture, for example, storming a city. And if we don't read that in Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2, a storming of a city. The church has been under assault from the very beginning by the storming of heresy. What was it that brought such conflict between Cain and Abel? It wasn't Abel that brought up the club. It was Cain. His religion was not accepted. And he's going to have a fit of it. Anyway, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. And then we read in verse 4 about the splitting of the Mount of Olives. The Lord has always been right in the middle of every split. And you know it's interesting that part of that goes to the east. And when we go back to the tabernacle and we go back to the temple and when we go to the church we find out that the east was always in the direction of the opening of the tabernacle, the opening of the temple, and the west was always against it. And that's just a way that mountain splits. We have those who trust the Lord and those who do not. And those... Will will leave. Will always leave the gospel, and judgment will follow them. We're going to stop there tonight. Thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to pick this up at the very next Wednesday. I have most of my notes, and I make sure that I have the right verses of scripture. <laughs>